All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're studying the names and the titles of Jesus Christ in the Holy Bible. And we are all the way up to the letter F. We started this in August, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I've certainly enjoyed looking at Jesus and learning about Jesus. And tonight, we want to consider Jesus who is called the first. He's the first. Everybody wants to be number one, it seems. Everybody wants to be first, but nobody can be first. Jesus already got that position locked up. The Bible says in Revelation 1, verse number 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega. What do you mean by that, Lord? The first and the last. What thou seest, write in the book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. I am the first and the last. Who is this? The Bible says in verse number 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps of the golden girdle. His hair, head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was in the, as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Lord, what do you mean by that? I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So, the one who was alive and is dead and is alive forevermore, the one who is the Alpha, the Omega, he is the first and he is the last. And tonight we want to consider Jesus Christ as the first. I'm going to ask you something before we go to prayer. We don't, we don't request or require a show of hands and it's, it's not anybody else's business, just between you and the Lord. But examining, examining, the use of your time, examining the expenditure of your finances, examining the, the things that excite and thrill your heart, examining what you would move to the forefront of your calendar and what you would push to the back of your calendar, I would ask you tonight, who is your first? Or what is your first? Now, if we were made by God for His pleasure... And, and according to God, Jesus Christ is the first. How can my life ever run as God would have it to run? How can I ever know the full abundance of His blessing if what God puts first, I have third or fourth or tenth or twenty-fifth? We have to earn a living. We have to, uh, well, I don't want to say it that way. We, we do care for and provide for and enjoy our families. And, and we, have to, we have all these duties and responsibilities in life. But Jesus has to be first. 
And somehow we need to stop viewing the Lord as in a separate category from what I have to do. And in a separate category from what is required. And somehow He has to be first. And I I do have to go to work. And I do have to love my spouse. And I do have to raise my children. And I do have to care for my home and my property. But first of all, I have to have Jesus Christ where He's supposed to be in my life. First in all these things. So so as we go to prayer... uh, That's really what we need to pray about. We're going to learn some things about the Lord tonight and and maybe be reminded again of some things we knew about the Lord tonight. But if, if it's all just an intellectual exercise, it doesn't bring us into that full joy that is available if we take what we know and put it into proper practice. Jesus is to be first. He's not first, then everything else is out of order. It has to be. If the first thing's out of order, then everything else is out of order. So let's pray together. Father, help us tonight to see your son for who he is and to give him the place in our lives that he deserves. Help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's consider some of the many ways that the Bible says that Jesus is first. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1, this is the first of two looks tonight in Colossians 1, so you might want to mark the place we will return here. Colossians chapter 1, and verse number 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, let's read again the verse we enjoyed this morning, starting at verse number 12. This morning we considered Jesus as the forgiver, giving thanks unto the Father... Colossians 1.12, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Aren't you glad the Lord did that for you? Amen. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. <laughs> Hallelujah. In whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. And I left out what is necessary for you to have redemption. I left out what is necessary for you to have your sins forgiven. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no redemption. Without the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no forgiveness of sins. But thank God, as we saw this morning, we can be forgiven through His blood. Verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God? Now watch, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So, Jesus is the first of all creation. He's not the first created being, He is the Creator. He is not the first thing that was made, He made all things. By Him were all things made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So, having read that, how can Jesus be called the firstborn of all creation? Because this is not a reference to birth. Look at the context. The Bible says in verse number 13, 
giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who receives the inheritance. Biblically, biblically, who receives the inheritance? The firstborn. Remember that Jacob and Esau thing? One was the firstborn, the other was born later, but the firstborn exchanged his inheritance, exchanged his birthright for a bowl of beans, for a, for a, a, a cup of lentil soup. And, and so Jesus Christ is not, he's not the first man that was born. That would be Abel. Adam wasn't born. Created. See, trick question. Watch that. Careful. You just, you just lost the, the daily double. <laughs> Who was Adam? So, anyway. But Jesus Christ is, because He's before everything in creation, because He predates everything in creation, because He's superior to everything in creation, the inheritance is His. So when the Bible says in Colossians 1 that He has made us partakers of the inheritance, it's not our inheritance, it's His inheritance. We are, we are heirs of God, the Bible says, only because we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So what He's saying is that what, everything that is made, Jesus Christ is the head of all that. Jesus Christ is the beginning of all that. Jesus Christ is the father figure of all that. Everything in creation looks to him as first. Now, this is, this is the, the great difference between those of us who believe the truth of the Bible and those who reject the truth of the Bible and cling to theories. You don't have any first. Well, I just believe it was a big bang. Well, who lit the fuse? Well, I just believe there was an explosion of particles, but where did the particles come from? Well, I just believe there were these elements and this gas cloud. Yes, but where did it come? You don't have a first. You don't have a starting point. And so there's nothing to, to which your faith can anchor, so you anchor your faith to theories. And then they shift and they change and they're disproven and they're revised. And how frustrating must that be? We have a starting place. I am Alpha. I am the beginning. I am the first. He's the firstborn. He is. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Everything there is to inherit. And I don't know what we'll have in eternity. I really don't. But whatever it is, it belongs to Jesus Christ. He's just letting us partake of it. If we live on a planet, if we live in a mansion, if we live in, in, in heaven by a, a, a crystal clear river of, of water on a gold street in a, in a house that He prepared for us, it's His. We just get to live there. If it's a glorified body, it's His. We just get to, where, wherever we go, whatever we do, nothing can I say, this is mine. It's all His. He's just allowing us to participate. He's allowing us to partake of that thing because He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, Luke chapter number 2. Let's go there. Luke chapter number 2. In what other way is the Lord first? Luke chapter number 2. 
Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. No, no, let's start at verse number... Well, we'll start at verse 1. Tis the season. Luke 2, 1. And it came to pass in those days that went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Man, you think tax day is bad now. Think if you had to travel to the town you were born in to pay your taxes and, and buy a motel room. Can you imagine what the rates would be? Look what they do to the rates, motel rates when the races are going on Daytona Beach. Why? Because they know everybody needs a motel room. They're going to flood the town. So they double, they triple, they quadruple the, the motel rates. What if everybody had to travel to their hometown on tax day? Think of not only the difficulty in travel, but the expense of that trip and, and what the, what the uh, commodities would cost and what the place to stay would cost. It's no wonder there's no room for them in the inn. If there had been room in the inn, they probably couldn't have paid for it. So ended up in a manger. Anyway, and so Bible says in Joseph, he skipped town and, and ran away because he didn't want to pay his taxes. No, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David. Now, just a little side trip because it's, it's here and it's a nice little scenic turnout. You can see a beautiful sight here. The Bible prophesied that Jesus would be born at Bethlehem. Had Joseph not obeyed a very disagreeable law by a very uh, corrupt government and gone to that town to pay his taxes, the scripture would not have been fulfilled. Mary would have given birth, but she wouldn't have given birth where the Bible said she would have given birth. So Joseph's obedience to an unpleasant and likely unrighteous law resulted in the Scripture being fulfilled. It's a perfect example of why the Bible tells us to obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. When we do what we're supposed to do, within society that allows God to do what He plans to do in our lives. And so the best thing to do is just, just trust the Lord and leave these things to God. You say, well, I don't like Him getting, getting all that uh, money of mine. Well, all the money you got came from God anyway. And, and he, he'll, he'll, he'll put the food on your table and the clothes on your back. He'll provide for your needs whether, whether the law is a good law or a bad law. Amen. Believe that. So let's, let, look, if, you, if you're going to fight a fight in this life, let's fight the good fight of faith for the gospel. Let's, let's not be Don Quixote getting on our horse and trying to take down the windmills of, of government because you're not going to win that fight. You're not going to win that fight. Okay, anyway, that's a little side road there. You say, I don't agree with that. That's okay. He went to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. What a trip that must have been. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, that word firstborn is crucial to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit put it there for two reasons in our context tonight. Because Jesus is the first child ever born on this earth of a virgin. This is, this is the 
supernatural sign of Isaiah chapter number 7. This is the incomprehensible promise of Genesis chapter number 3. The seed of a woman to bruise the serpent's head. A virgin conceiving and bringing forth a son and they called his name Emmanuel. Nobody, nobody ever, ever born of woman on this earth was born without a human father. But Jesus Christ, that that holy thing formed in the womb of Mary into which God the Son took up residence and she gave birth on that night in Bethlehem. That human baby, both God and man, was born, conceived of the Holy Ghost of God in the womb of a virgin, no man involved, no sin from Adam, no corrupt fallen nature from Adam, no death passing upon him from Adam. Look, If in Adam all die, if Jesus is born of a virgin, then the only reason he died is because he volunteered to take your place. He never would have died had he not chosen to die in your place and in mine. No sin in him, no sin on him, no sin committed by him. He's the firstborn of a virgin. Also, it's important, it's not our subject tonight, but it's important to send the Bible because, believe it or not, there's a religion, rather large religion, in our world today, and they teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. Now, biblically, you couldn't, even if you could pray to a saint, you could pray to Mary, but you couldn't pray to the Virgin Mary because she hasn't been a virgin for 2,000 years. She had many other children, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, or half-brothers, half-sisters of Jesus. So that's why the Bible accurately says she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, there are a couple of Roman Catholic manuscripts floating around in the world, Greek manuscripts, and they've removed the word firstborn because what would it do to the Roman Catholic religion if the virgin mother wasn't a virgin anymore? They'd have to go to Jesus instead of to his mom, and, well, that's what they're supposed to do. So anyway, Jesus is the first ever born of a virgin. You say, well, now it bothers me some when you say things like that because I feel you're criticizing other people's religion. Okay, let's, let me explain. I am not criticizing other people. I am criticizing other people's religion. Just as Jesus, he didn't dislike the Pharisees, he didn't dislike the scribes, he didn't dislike the Sadducees, but he said, what you're practicing is incorrect. And you need to stop doing that and start doing this. You need to stop believing that and start believing this. We live in a society where if you tell somebody their religion is wrong, it's perceived as you hate me or you're being mean to me. No, I don't hate you and I'm not being mean to you. I'm just pointing out to you that biblically, Mary's not a virgin. And if your church worships the Blessed Virgin instead of Jesus Christ... They're misleading you. That's not hateful. That's, that's a nice, polite thing to do. See? Service with a smile. See? All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter 2 also having to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. So I hear that, I hear that church. They, uh, you hear a lot of things. We believe that Jesus was born at Bethlehem to a, of, a, of a virgin. And we believe that's a wonderful thing. We're excited about that. We're happy about that. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the babe in the manger. 
Thank God he didn't stay a babe in a manger. Grew up, became a man, went to the cross. All right, Matthew 2, verse 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Now, can, we, can I go over this one more time? I know we hit on this just a few months ago, but, but every time I see it, I want to go over it again. In the Greek. Who's ever heard of the Greek? Okay, that's, you hear it like you turn on Christian radio and a man will say, well, well here's what the Bible says, but the Greek. Okay, so in the Greek, which there isn't any such thing as the Greek. You don't have a Greek Bible and somebody took that and translated it into English. You have 5,400 different pieces of the Bible in the primitive languages of the day and, and men put all of those together and lined them all up to make sure they had the agreement, what's so, and then, then they took that and they translated that into English. Now, those manuscripts will be all lowercase level letters, some of them. No capital letters at all. They're all lowercase letters. Or some of them will be all capital letters. No lowercase. Every letter is a capital letter. There's none where the letters are mixed. Okay? You, don't, you don't have that in, in the Greek manuscripts like you have in the English Bible. So, when men sit down to translate the Bible and they came to Matthew chapter 2, when, it, when they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They put a capital K on it. That's entirely preference. Capital K, king of the Jews. And when they put Herod the king, they put a little k. Jesus, big K, Herod, little k. That's not, that's not a translation issue. That's a preference issue. King James translators capitalize King Jesus, lowercase Herod the king. When the men, who translate, men and women who translated the NIV came to the passage, they put a little k on Jesus and a big K on Herod. Purely preference, they preferred to capitalize Herod the king and lowercase king of the Jews referring to Jesus. That's an odd choice. Odd choice. All right, now, here's the point. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? He's the first baby ever born king. Now think about it. Think about it. Somebody's on the throne when David is born. Somebody's on the throne when Solomon is born. Somebody's on the throne when Prince Charles is born and Prince Harry is born and all the, the rest of that. And, and, and what they do is, is they're born a prince or princess and they get in line and they wait their turn. But this baby, the moment he was born, he was the king. He's the first ever born king. He's not waiting for anybody to get off the throne upon which he is going to sit. There's never been anybody else on that throne. There never will be anybody else on that throne. He was king before he was born. He was king the moment he was born. He was king when they laid him in the grave. He was king when he rose from the grave. He's always been the king. That's an amazing thing. Old Prince Charles over there, poor guy. 
I mean, I'm sure he loves his mom and all, but he's got to keep looking at his watch and wondering if he's going to run out of time before he ever gets to do whatever they do. I don't know what they do over there. I don't know what the queen does or the king does, but whatever they do, that's what they, that's what they do. I guess they, they give uh, knighthoods to singers. You know, that's what they, Every 10 years or so, they, they make Paul McCartney a knight or Elton John a knightess or whatever, whatever the, the, the case case might be, and that's, I don't know what else they do, ride around in parades and, and wave at people, but anyway, Charles is waiting. He was born in line for the throne, but he wasn't born on the throne. Jesus Christ, he's born, he's king when he's born. He's not waiting for anybody to get out of the way. He's the first to ever be born king. All right, look at Luke, uh, Luke 19. Luke chapter number 19, firstborn of all creation, firstborn of a virgin, firstborn to be king. Luke chapter 19. Let me make another statement that sounds like an apology, but actually it's not an apology. See, whenever I say things like that, my... My wife and I will talk after church, and I'll say, you know, if I didn't say those things, we'd probably have a lot more people come to church, and she'll say, yeah, you're right. But you know, I live in a world that holds Jesus Christ in such contempt, and it seems that almost everybody I know who claims the name of Jesus Christ loves and adores the people who hold him in contempt. And it just seems to me like somebody needs to point out that you shouldn't make fun of Jesus, you should make fun of Elton. That you shouldn't worship John, Paul, George, and Ringo, you should worship Jesus Christ. It just seems to me that somebody needs to say, just because you go to church doesn't mean you don't have it backwards. And the people of this world, saved and lost alike, they adore worldly heroes. And they don't seem to have that same adoration for Jesus. And, and it just kind of makes me strike out at it every now and again and just say, I, I don't think the Lord gets enough glory from His people. And I think people who despise the Lord get too much glory even from the Lord's people. And so that's my justification for my meanness and my bad attitude. And Bob agrees, so the mouth of two or three witnesses. <laughs> All right, now Luke 19, this baby that was born of a virgin, firstborn of the virgin, this baby that was born king, he didn't come in this world, not first time, to sit on a throne as king. He came in this world to die. And so the Bible says in Luke 19, verse 28, When he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. If any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had sent to them. As they were loosing the colt, uh, there was controversy. And they said, The Lord had need on him. And so they went and took the colt. And the Bible says in verse 35, 
And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Now, we've spent enough time, my wife and I and children, around animals to learn that there was more to learn about animals than we were going to learn in our lifetime. My dad grew up on a farm. As soon as he could, he moved to town. We grew up in town. As soon as we could, we moved out in the country and started to farm. As soon as our kids were old enough and got enough money together, they moved into town. That's just how that thing goes. But anyway, here's, here's what I know about colts. Here's what I know about horses. Until they're broken, you can't ride them. And you can't just walk out there and say, now you stand still, I'm getting on you. That, that animal is not cooperating. You can, if you don't believe me, you can try it. Just go out somewhere, somebody's got horses, and say, you got one nobody's ever ridden on before. And, and if they say yes, say, can I get on it? Just give it a shot. Just get up on top of the fence, have them bring the horse right over, just slide your leg right over, sit down on that horse. And hope that there's somebody there to pick you up, put you back together. But somebody, somebody walked up to that colt, full of an ass, on which never had man ridden, and without breaking, without training, without any exercise whatsoever, he became the first to ride that beast. And that beast received him and, and allowed him to ride through all that crowd and all that noise and all that commotion without one buck, one kick, one bolt whatsoever. What manner of man is this? That, that animal knew it was giving escort to its creator. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. Because it's not just, I mean, we're not out in the corral and the young animal is with the older animal, and, and all is comfortable. They have taken that thing from where it lives. They have taken it to have a man sit upon it, and it's never had a man sit upon it before, and now they're riding it through a crowded street with people shouting and crying and waving and throwing things in the road, and that animal never started. It never bucked. That's a miracle. It's an incredible miracle. You know what the Bible says in the book of Job? Man, man, born of a woman, unsaved man, natural man, is like a wild ass's colt. He has to be broken before he can be ridden. It takes time, effort, energy, restraint, reward, restraint, reward, restraint, reward, and maybe eventually... You can tame that man. Or Jesus could just walk right up and by his supernatural power overrule the natural nature of that beast. That's you. That's me. Mom and dad, they can restrain you. They can't tame you. Time and circumstances can restrain you. They can't tame you. But Jesus, he could walk right into your life and change your entire nature so that you went from being a bucking, kicking rebel 
to one that says, come on, Lord, I'll carry you right into the midst of the city. Let all behold your glory. He's the first ever to do that. First to ride on that young colt. Where was he going? To Calvary. What did he do? He died. John 19. John chapter 19. John 19. Verse 40. Before we read the verse, what did his mother do immediately after he was born before she laid him in the manger? She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Look at the other end of his earthly life. John 19, verse 40. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. I wonder if his mother saw that. She was standing at the foot of the cross. When the Bible said a sword should pierce thine own heart, thine own soul, I wonder if when she saw them wrapping that body, if her mind went back to the night that he was born. Now she wrapped that little body against the cold in that manger and laid it there. He was born to die. That's why he came into the world, to die upon that cross. And now the Bible says in verse 41, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. When the Jews would bury, the ground's hard, it's rocky ground, lime, limestone over there. And, but the, it, in the hillsides, it'll hollow out. You'll have caves, deep caves and recesses. And they would, they would fill them with bodies and place a stone over the front of the grave to protect the bodies from creatures and, and things from without and protect the people from outside from the offense of the, of the corpse and so forth. But this tomb they lay in Jesus in, he's the first ever to lay in that tomb. It's a brand new tomb. Nobody's ever laid in there. He's the first to go in there. And, and it's significant because he's the first man ever to die who didn't deserve to die. The wages of sin is death, but there's a dead man who never sinned. The soul that sinneth it shall die. And there's a man who's being buried whose soul never sinned. This is a first. This is the first time in the history of the world that someone died unjustly. Now, I know what, look, I know what you can say. And, and, and the news reports say it this way. And, and we even say it this way in our conversation. We say, you know, an innocent man was killed in that accident. No, a man might have been killed who didn't deserve to die on that day in that way. But since Adam, an innocent man has not died. There are no innocent men. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. But on this day that you just read about, John 19, that's the first time a man is dead and buried who didn't deserve to die. Now, if he's got no sin and he's dead, he must have taken somebody else's sin upon him in order to go through the doorway of death. He took yours, he took mine. That's the first time that's ever happened. 
Praise the Lord. Now back to Colossians 1. Back to Colossians 1. He went to the cross and died. They took him down and laid him in a tomb. Then the Bible says in Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1, and verse number 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now think about this. He is not the first to ever come up from the dead. But he is the firstborn from the dead. What's the difference? When Elijah raised that boy from the dead back in 1 Kings, all he did was prolong the inevitable death. He went into death, he came out of death, he went back into death. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, or the widow of Nain's son, or called Lazarus out of the grave, all he did was prolong the eventual hold that death would take upon these individuals. They They were alive, they were dead, now they're alive, but they will soon be dead once again. You can't go, get on a plane and fly to the nation of Israel, and go meet Lazarus, shake his hand, get your picture taken with him. Here's the man Jesus raised from the dead. No, he died again. He's still subject to death. Death still is the greater power. But when Jesus Christ walked out of that garden tomb alive, he was the first one to ever look back over his shoulder at death and say, I'll not be seeing you again. We're through. He's the first. He's the first to be victorious over death by His power. That's why when Romans chapter 8, Romans 6, 7, 8 talks about us being raised up with Christ to walk in newness of life and, and promise us us everlasting life. Look, the body indeed is dead because of sin, but I have my soul, my, I have everlasting life. Now, nobody had that for Jesus Christ. Not one person had that for Jesus Christ. But we do. In Him, through Him. He's the first to conquer death. So what do we have? He's the first of all creation. He's the firstborn of a virgin. He's the firstborn a king. He's the first to ride the young colt. He's the first laid in the new tomb. He's the first to rise from the dead over whom death had no more dominion. Two more. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. The Bible says in verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, thank the Lord. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, 
even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the whole book of Hebrews in two minutes, maybe three. See that nation of Israel? God chose them, brought them out in the promised land. He said, here's a tabernacle. I want you to build it just like this. Because it's a picture of something I want everybody to see. Here's the outer court. Here's the holy place. Here's the holy of holies. Put a veil there. Great big curtain. And inside that, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat on top, God will meet with you there. Really? He'll meet with us here? Well, no, not you. Just one of you. Your high priest can come through that veil once a year and meet with me. That's how holy I am. That's how unholy you are. After you've washed at the laver, after you've offered your sacrifice upon the altar, that's as far as you can come. You still can't get to me. At your best, you can't get to me. Think about that. They stand in line for hours with their bullock or with their lamb or with their sheep and they wash and they're cleansed and they offer their offering and the priest burns it on the altar and they look at the veil and, and God says, sorry, that's as far as you can come. But I washed. <laughs> it's not good enough. But I brought the sacrifice. Not good enough. But I'm as, I'm as holy as I can be. Yeah, I know. Get out of here. See that veil? And that's, that's just the earthly picture. Now up there in heaven, sits a holy God behind the veil of that firmament. And there's not a man on his best day, there's not a man the best minute of his life can get in there. So Jesus gets up from the right hand of the Father. He comes down to earth born of a virgin. Now he's a man. He lives a sinless life. He rides that colt, the foal of the ass. He goes to Mount Calvary. He dies on the cross. He's buried. He rises from the dead. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. He's a man. When he rises from the dead, he's a man. The man Christ Jesus. And he ascends up to heaven. He enters in through that veil. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. And he says to every living soul, I've made the way. You can follow me through the veil into the very presence of God. If he's the first to do that, what's the implication? He's not the last. Because he made the way in, anyone that will follow him can get in. He had to become man to do that. But he did become man, and he did do that. So, Jesus was the first created, he, he, creation, it all started with him. He's the first born of a virgin. He's the first to offer himself without sin. He's the first to die holy, righteous. He's the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. He's the first to ascend as a man and enter into the presence of God. How about that? And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter number 8, because of all that, Romans 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He did also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. How about that? Now, 
Mary had other children. Joseph was their father. Because Joseph was their father, they are in Adam's line. Correct? And though they grew up in the same house with Jesus and ate at the same table with Jesus and went to the same synagogue with Jesus, they could never be made, after their first birth, they could never be made like Jesus. So if they're just children of Mary and Joseph, there's no way they can get to God. There's no way they can have eternal life. But what's this firstborn among many brethren? If you will receive a second birth, so that God is your father as God was Jesus' father, God the Father, will so cleanse you. He will so wash you in the blood of Jesus Christ. He will so justify you. He will so purify you. He will so glorify you that as Jesus entered into His presence first, you, His brethren, may enter in after Him. Not having your own righteousness, but having the righteousness of God which is imputed to you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. See, he's the firstborn among many brethren. You know what? what? Through the new birth, just as Adam has a race who are like him, so Jesus Christ has a race, a family that is like him. Praise the Lord. As we have borne the image of the earthly, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly. He's first. Now, with just those few considerations, how will you feel next time you see somebody say, we're number one. I'm number one. No, I don't think so. The only person's got a right to hold up a hand and lift one finger and say, I'm number one, is Jesus Christ. He alone can say, I am the first. And he is. We love him. And I hope we trust him. I hope everybody here is trusting in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for letting us know all this wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the journey that he made from heaven to earth and back again. And these firsts that attach themselves to him, without them we'd be lost eternally. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Lord, our friend. And Father, would you help us to put him first? He is first. May we live that way. In Jesus' name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed.